the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Travis. I'll be filling in today for Phil Naiman here on Firing Line Radio. And with me will be Roy Griffith, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. What we thought we would do for you today is show you how a single bill, a single piece of legislation goes through the process here in California. Most of us either learned how bills work by watching a Saturday morning cartoon that said, I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill, or they learned it inside one of their classrooms, something that is neither seen on TV anymore on Saturday mornings for the current generation of children, nor is it taught in the classroom. And so as a result, a lot of you do not realize that while we do focus on Second Amendment legislation here on the show and at the California Rifle Pistol Association, these same tactics, these same schemes, these same laws that are being broken when it comes to the Second Amendment are being broken on everything from your price of gasoline in California to the taxes on your homes to how water is distributed. You name an impact in your life, and this is the game that's being played in Sacramento. So Roy and I are going to take an Assembly Bill 1223, which is literally one of the dirtiest bills ever in the history of California on the Second Amendment and the law-abiding gun owner and show you how it started out and take it through from the start to where it currently is sitting this week. Roy, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks. Really appreciate it, Rick. So let's yeah, start at the very beginning. Uh, Assembly Bill 1223. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, this one makes my simple cop head spin. You know, those of that know me, know my backgrounds in law enforcement, a world of black and white and right and wrong and left and right and up and down. And there's none of that in this crazy building. This bill, AB 1223, started as a, remind you, this is is like most everything in that building. There's not much of a new idea ever come around. We beat this bill a couple times before. Two years ago, it was AB 18. This is that tax that Mr. Levine wants to put on all law-abiding citizens to originally pay for the California Violence Intervention Program, CalVIP. So this bill started out this year to fund that program. Well, then what happened? Mr. Gruson Newsom got... What's that? I would, like to, I would like this to kind of flesh out. A lot of people see the acronym, you know, CalVIP, or they see CalTIPS or something like that, and they get them confused because we've had some of those calls. Can you explain to them briefly what Cal VIP is that we're supposed to fund as law-abiding gun owners and what it actually does? 
Yeah, I just uh, said that's the California Violence Intervention Program. This is a program which we can all get behind to study and do research on violence in California and find ways to prevent and make that not happen. A program that uh, is necessary because of violent criminals that are being released from prisons early in California, violent criminals that are having penalties rolled back on them, violent known armed prohibited felons on our streets that DOJ is either too busy or too inept to get off of our streets. These criminal acts are being created and perpetrated against all Californians, and therefore all Californians should pay that price. This is this should be funded out of the general fund. Well, for once, Gavin Newsom apparently agreed with us because he funded this program just recently, a couple weeks ago, out of all that magic money that he got from Mr. Biden. So the California Violence Intervention Program is now fully funded for this year and years to come with a multi-million dollar budget going forward dollars allocated to that program. So you would think in a perfect world there'd be no reason for AB 1223 any longer because it's purpose to fund, to raise a tax on a 10% to 11% tax, 10% on handguns, 11% on all ammunition and all long guns, you think it'd go away because that program's funded. No, they amended the bill a couple weeks ago to make that money go into the general fund. So tax law-abiding gun owners in a time of a multi-billion dollar surplus and put that money into the general fund when money should be being returned. There's a law that says when you have a surplus that large in a state, in California, it's supposed to be returned to the taxpayers who put it there. Not the case. They, uh, you know, they created a minute to have the money go in the general fund, and that didn't go over too well. So a few days later, Mr. Levine, the author of this bill, created a whole new account, a whole new never-created-before pot of money that uh, that is now um, called the Gun Violence Prevention Healing and Recovery Fund. I mean, we don't even have an acronym for that one yet, but... So now, as it stands as a couple weeks ago, um, that money is going to go to this new fund that Levine just created. So the scary part is there's no precedent on where this money is supposed to go. There's no um, real uh, rules in place. He's already making promises. Word on the street is already making promises to other members to get their votes, that they can get their hand in this brand-new cookie jar. So where we're at now is just today, as you know, we're, as listeners, I'm sure they realize this is being recorded earlier in the week. Today, Thursday, AB 1223 just came up on the floor to approve um, this urgency clause. Backing up a little bit, last Thursday, you know, we have been, we CRP have been reaching out to our members for weeks saying we just got to beat this thing on the floor. We just got to stop their two-thirds vote. You know, this is a rare situation where we can, we can actually stop bills because this is a tax. It doesn't just require the majority vote, 50% plus one. This requires a two-thirds vote. Last Thursday, this bill came on the floor, and we beat them. Our members, our volunteers throughout the state did great things. And um, anyway, your turn, Rick. Go on. I've got a lot of things going on here today. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is a great overview of what has happened. But I want to go back to a couple of things because, you know, you and I 
and a lot of people that are involved in this know all the intricacies. But I want you, the listener out there, to understand exactly the process and why Roy and I are so fired up on this. So going back a little bit, Roy, you know, we brought up the taxes 10 to 11%, and that's 10 to 11% on firearms purchases, precursor parts, ammunition. So, Roy, you know, I get questions on AB 1223 all the time on the taxes because they see some things that say 30 to 31 percent and others that say, like you did earlier, 10 you know, to 11 percent. Can you explain to the people why they're seeing those two different numbers? Yeah, certainly. First off, there's the there's everybody pays their California sales tax. So depending on your community, that's anywhere between let's just talk about the purchase of one firearm or one box ammunition. First, you're going to pay your local sales tax. And that's anywhere between 10 and 13%, depending on where you live in California. Then you got to pay your Pittman-Robinson tax. That's a federal excise tax imposed many years ago, something that sportsmen, men and women all get behind, and that money goes to great things. That's 11% tax. Now, this will be on top of those. So that takes it, you know, we just do the math, 10 you know, 11% plus 12% plus now another 10% on handguns and 11% on long guns and ammunition. So now we're talking 30-some percent, depending on where you live, tax alone on that new firearm. You also have to take, you know, pay the class for your CCW or pay a class for your fire California Firearm Safety Course. So these are all additional fees on that first-time shooter, first-time hunter, and that's our big concern, and that's where the confusion comes from. This is, yes, an additional tax on top of everything else already being paid. And that doesn't just affect a first-time hunter or, or purchaser of firearm. That includes people like you and I who might have more than one. They're going to buy, you know, another one for whether it's, you know, duck hunting or, you know, deer hunting or just target practice. We're going to pay those taxes as well, correct? That's correct. And Youth shooting sports will be devastated. You know, this is like, imagine purchasing a pallet of ammunition for a shooting event. The only exemption on this currently is law enforcement. Okay, so one of the things I want all of you that are listening today, whether you're driving your car, sitting down, you know, being part of this conversation with Roy and I, is that this is a tax. And this is something that we're going to talk in the next segment about taxation without representation. You might remember that from the history of this country. That was one of the reasons the founding fathers cited for breaking off the relationship as British citizens with their government, Great Britain. Now, I'm not advocating that we break off relationships with our our government here. What I am advocating and we're going to talk about in this next segment is how we have not been given a right to do what we're supposed to under law And that is to discuss whether we want to be taxed like this or not, how this is being railroaded like many other things in the state capitol. We'll be right back with Firing Line Radio. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey folks, welcome back to Boomstick Radio. Philip Naiman here. Um, as you know, every week we're sponsored by Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, on the corner of Arlington and Brockton. 
And as I've been saying for months now, every day at Bullseye is Christmas. Why? Because you didn't have a gun when you went in the store. And when you leave, you have one. So boom, it's like a present. Every time you show up, you got something new to pick up there. Now, why do I say it like that? Because the supply chain has been so devastated in California, well, really nationwide. We're not sure what's going to happen. So you have to go to the gun stores early. You have to go to the gun stores often. And then you can find out what's on the shelf and make your purchases. So that's what we're recommending here is a uh, almost daily visit to Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Brockton and Riverside. 951-823-0211. It's Christmas time. Go on in there. Um, sweet talk, Vince. Maybe you can get a 50% discount. Let me know if that works. Okay, bullseyesport.com, 951-823-0211. Welcome back to Fine Line Radio. This is Rick Travis, California Rifle Pistol Association Director of Development. And with me today is Roy Griffith, the Legislative Director for the CRPA. And we're both filling in for the great Phil Naiman, your host, who does amazing things to get the word out on the Second Amendment throughout Southern California. We're talking specifically today about how legislation gets passed in our state capital, and not just 2A legislation, but how a lot of this during this post-COVID or pre-COVID or during the middle of COVID, depending on your take, uh, has impacted your lives negatively across the board. And we're using a simple piece of legislation, Assembly Bill 1223, which is causing a great deal of angst in the community and outside of our community to illustrate how this happens. And so, and continuing on where we were talking about taxation without representation and the impact on youth, we'll first start on the taxation thing. Roy, you know, I remember as a kid and even growing up and going to school and political science classes, hearing that, you know, taxing the people, whether it's at the local level, the state level, or the federal level, without proper representation and a chance to say, no, we don't want to be taxed that way, is pretty much a right of an American citizen. And yet, I'm feeling as I've been watching you fight this bill and helping you out there in the grassroots section that we're not being allowed to represent ourselves. And, uh, you know, just last night when I was talking to some people at a, at a get together, they said, hey, could you explain that better? And, you know, in our conversations, Roy, you had been very good to explain how under the normal bad, horrific conditions, you're able to get in and talk to members. Explain what that's like now. Yeah, well, you know, we certainly, it's no surprise part of the, the listeners that the other side doesn't like to hear from us very often. So they'd avoid our phone calls, avoid our emails. But, you know, pre-COVID, Roy would just go plop down in their office and sit there until they had to, they had to have a visit with me. And that's, that's sad, but true, the way the system works, you know. Um, and our voice was heard. This bill is supposed to go through various committees. You know, the, the House of Origin, First Committee, Public Safety, you know, we testified there. Appropriations. Appropriations is where you're supposed to hash out the fiscal impacts of this bill. What is this bill going to fiscally do to the state and fiscally do to the state citizens? And that's where our voice is supposed to be heard again in appropriations. We were denied any opportunity. They had a glitch, same thing as, you know, the whole COVID thing. They're not having in-person meetings. We're supposed to call in. I sat on the phone that day for hours, you know, waiting for opportunity to have to testify against this bill. They had some glitch. So the chair of the committee, Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, just said, okay, we're done, you know. <laughs> she fast-forwarded through all the bills, and we were not even heard. Our voice was not even allowed. We weren't allowed to testify on that bill. I filed a formal complaint 
And I have yet to this day, that was over a month ago, I have yet to hear anything back in that formal complaint. But in the meantime, it came up again because he was put on suspense that first time, and we should have been, had a second opportunity. We were told, no, you can't testify today because you had an opportunity to testify when this bill is first heard. So um, we are being muzzled, and we are being muzzled on a bill that requires a two-thirds vote. You know, this requires uh, at least our capital recognizes that when you're going to take people's money, you can't do it with 50% plus one. You have to have two-thirds of vote of that building. And that's what we accomplished last week by, by in a perfect world, we would have killed this bill on the floor last week. I think it's so important for people to understand that, you know, a lot of people, regardless of your party affiliation, you know, if you're left or right politically, you know, people on both sides, I think, are universal on that there should be a bipartisan effort to at least hear out the other side. And this has become next to impossible to ever have happen in Sacramento. Um, what's happening is there's only one side being heard. And that's that's just not right. It doesn't represent the people of California. And as you know, you, the listener, should be thinking is, well, wait a second. If they're doing this on the Second Amendment, you know, a federally constitutional right, what else are they doing it on? And the answer you're not going to like to hear is everything. They are literally doing this. As, as Roy just said, I don't know if you caught it, but he's like, there was a list of bills that were supposed to have people from all sides talk about. And, you know, member Lorena just said, yeah, no, not today. There's a slight computer glitch. Now, imagine the outcry if you told a bank, you told the federal government, sorry, having a, having a computer glitch, not going to file my taxes, having a computer glitch, not going to do this, not going to do that. Do you think for a minute the government, local, state, or federal, would accept that? And the answer we all know is no, they wouldn't. But that is exactly what they're shoving down all of our throats. And this isn't hyperbole. This is what's literally going on. I want you to understand, you know, when you pay someone like the California Rifle Pistol Association, your membership, to have somebody of the caliber and quality of Roy Griffith singularly focused on your Second Amendment rights and everything that derives from that, whether it be competitive shooting, self-protection, hunting, collecting, and the list goes on, that this is what this man and a team of other people from other worthy organizations like Safari Club International, Gun Owners of California, NRA, and other groups, this is what they're up against. This is the wall that has been set, and this is how your rights are being trampled. And Roy, you started to bring up in the last segment a specific area, you know, if nothing else for the kids. Explain how this tax is going to devastate, because I completely agree with you, youth shooting and bringing up the next generation. Yeah, uh, well, certainly, Rick. The uh, youth shooting sports program is already in, in a bind just getting ammunition. Ammunition, because of all the hype and, and craziness created in, in Washington, D.C., uh, people are just going out and buying ammunition they need or don't even need, just stockpiling and um, companies are gearing up to, to produce what is in most demand, handgun and rifle ammunition, um, 308, 40 cal, 9 millimeter. That's where the money is for them, and that's where the huge demand is. So um, a lot of the, the shotgun ammunition is just not even there. It's not being produced at the rate it should be produced, and what's there is just being bought up. And those that are suffering are the youth shooting sports programs. 
just first off, just availability. Now, factor in uh, this this new tax, uh, 11% tax. Doesn't seem like much when you're just buying a box of ammunition to go dove hunting, but like we talked earlier, that's not just 11%. It's actually 30-some percent. It's just 11% more. That really is pricing some of this stuff just out of the the availability of many of these parents. We're not talking about rich people. You know, we're talking about just, you know, hardworking Californians who just want to see their kids recreate on a, on a youth shooting team. You know, 4-H programs, uh, Boy Scouts, all these entities are just going to have a really hard time buying ammunition that they were already barely able to budget for. So um, what program's going to go, you know? I mean, we already, we CRPA already fight hard, you know, to work with these entities to keep shooting programs as a part of their curriculum, you know, and... Um, if if the price just gets to the point where it, something's got to go, guess what's going to go? Shooting sports programs for our kids. So, yeah, it's very concerning, Rick. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about this a little deeper in the next segment. But one of the things I want all of you to realize is, you know, given the million-plus new gun owners, given the restrictions of COVID-19, given the supply chain um that we've seen everything from, you know, toilet paper, which we tend to laugh at a year later, but throughout different products in your grocery stores and definitely within our community, there is a scarcity of different items. And when there's scarcity, prices go up. And if you're trying to keep a youth program affordable, as Roy says, when the prices go up, you start excluding people. And this makes it almost classes that, you know, people low to middle income just can't afford to do it. So now it's only the wealthy. And that allows the framing of this argument to go to the far left. And we're going to talk about that, explore it a little bit more in depth in our next segment. Thank you for being on Firing Line Radio. And we'll be right back after these messages. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Welcome back to Fine Line Radio. This is Rick Travis, the Director of Development for the California Rifle Pistol Association. I'm with Roy Griffith this morning, who is the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. We're both happy to fill in for the great Phil Naiman, who brings you Second Amendment news every week and is out there fighting the good fight for you. 
Today, we're looking at how a particular bill, Assembly Bill 1223, is progressing, how it impacts your life, how it's like every other bill that's being corruptly pushed through, and as your normal host would call, excremento. And uh, we're trying to show you where this is going and how it gets there. And so there's some unique things that are said that often when we read it in the media, we're like, oh, okay, but oh, okay, doesn't mean we truly understand it. So we're trying to break this down for you, all the different impacts and the deviousness that is known as Sacramento. You know, Roy, we often talk about the um, left on this show and what it's doing to the Second Amendment. So for a moment to be fair and balanced, let's look at um, the right. So during this and during this fight that um, we're going to talk in the next segment, how people get involved and what they do with this problem that we're introducing to them. Um, How responsive has the Republican side or the more conservative side of uh, Sacramento been in engaging this and fighting and and telling the left, no, you can't do these things? Well, they spoke up, but we certainly like to see them speak up some more. Um, You know, that means a lot to us when they get up on the floor and, and, and rally the troops against these things. But to be honest, when this bill came up, Last Thursday, only two of them, only two of the 15, 16 um, Republican members got up and said anything. So we're asking for more. You know, we're reaching out to the party leadership and seeing what we can do to get them to to turn the fire up a little bit. And we appreciate it when they get up, even on a bill where we don't have a chance, because it's motivating. And it lets us know that, well, maybe we do have a chance. At least our voices are heard when they speak our talking points, because we're not allowed access to the floor. You know, we're allowed access to these committees, but as we were talking earlier, under this COVID, we're not even, our voices aren't even heard in committee. So um, we're doing what we can to motivate our Republican folks. They voted our way. Now, you know, let's dial back to last Thursday. You know, we, in a perfect world, would have killed this bill last Thursday. The Republicans all held the line and voted against this thing, and we turned several Democrats. And I'm sure some of those Democrats were turned by by hearing the word from our, our Republican friends and, and taking time. We, we have been on just hundreds of phone calls in the last few weeks talking to both sides of the aisle to try to assure that we had the votes to kill this thing with a two-thirds vote last week, which we did. This vote, this bill should be dead last Thursday because it was not. It was over six bills short of the two-thirds vote required to get it out of the House of Origin on the deadline. Right. Last Friday the 4th was the deadline. This bill should be dead. So so let's talk about that and explore that for a moment because, you know, in the background at CRPA, we have called this the zombie bill um, because the whole idea with a zombie, while it, it seems to be mythical, is, you know, the zombie is a person who's died who all of a sudden reanimates and, and goes after the people and tries to kill them. And this is a bill that obviously has been reanimated um, for lack of better words, to describe um, my anguish over this. So how exactly does a bill that by all intents and purposes should have been dead, buried, done for the year, get resurrected as a zombie and start coming back at us and, and why you're fighting it this whole last week? Yeah, you could sum that up with just... <laughs> A lot. We were throwing a lot of few words around the last few days. Corruption and and um, it's just uh, majority rules. They got a super majority. This bill was denied the votes, and at the last seconds before they 
went off the floor last week, the author, Mark Levine from Marin County, requested an urgency clause be heard. An urgency clause is like, okay, if this doesn't happen, life, limb, property, people are going to die, bad things are going to happen. It's an urgency. Let's say water levels in a reservoir or flood or, you know, we could talk about lots of things that would require an urgency matter. Maybe bad fire year in California like last year, urgent funding for California Department of Forestry um, to be able to maintain the apparatus equipment that they need in the field. Those are urgent causes that require urgent piece of legislation. He got an urgency clause to be heard, attached to the bill last Thursday, which came up in rules committee this morning, and uh, one of our finest Cunningham said, wait a minute, time out, this is not an urgency, and because there's only (laughs) two Republicans on that committee and the rest Dems, uh, that was denied, the bill went to the floor, and that urgency clause was approved. So you tell me, Rick, how can a bill to fund an account that has never existed before, that was supposed to fund an account that is fully funded now, how can a bill to tax California's law-abiding firearms owners? Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I really want to look at. Roy, you bring up an excellent point, you know, and that is that, you know, to the average person, this bill should have stopped. And you bring up this urgency clause. And I want people to really soak this in for a moment that, you know, like Roy said, urgency clauses are for, you know, disaster relief. They're because there is an imminent threat to the population, whether that's a regional area at a local level, like there was a flood or earthquake or a statewide level, like the drought or fires. Um, an urgency clause is not, oh, I didn't get my bill passed. So let's let's invoke urgency. It's also really interesting because, as Roy said earlier in this interview, that Think about it for a moment. This bill, when it was originally constructed by Mr. Levine, was for a specific, the Cal VIP funding, based on only law-abiding gun owners being singled out to pay for it. And there's several issues with that that we could go on for two or three radio shows about. But the governor, as Roy said, took money that he got from the feds and fully funded the program, not just for a year, but for several years to come which means now the program's funded and the bill that was created to fund it is no longer necessary. Therefore, there is absolutely zero urgency. There was nothing to be needed to be done. But because Mr. Levine wants to tax us, and this is why we say this isn't partisan, this is just reality. He wants to raise more money when we already have a multi-billion dollar surplus in the state, says, hey, you know what? I'm going to create a new bureaucracy out of thin air I'm going to slap a really cute name on it. I don't know exactly what it's going to do because, well, we'll get to that later with your money that we're going to tax you on. And when that starts to fail because he can't get two-thirds, he says, oh, it's urgent. How can anything be urgent if we don't have the bureaucracy set up, the first place to tell us what it's going to do, and the second place, the governor hasn't even weighed in if he thinks this new bureaucracy is good or bad or indifferent. The people have had no voice in the creation of this new bureaucracy that's going to be settled on them. And yet, somehow, for something that doesn't exist other than in the mind of one person in California, Mr. Levine, it is now urgent. If that's the classical definition from urgent, folks, you, me, 
we all have a lot of urgent things. And I know a lot of you are chuckling because no, we don't. And no, the government doesn't. And this is one of the things that we're up against. You know what's urgent? Making sure that kids can have programs this summer that help them to learn about things. What's not urgent is creating new bureaucracies to make yourself look good as a politician from Marin County. Roy, in this next segment, what I want to really do with you is I want to really show the people how they can salute, you know, have a solution to this, how they can engage, how they can fight these egregious types of legislation. Because I think a lot of people are fatigued, they're battle weary. I know you and I get that way throughout the, the sessions because it's like uh, being Prometheus and rolling the, the stone up to the top of the hill only to have to run back down the hill, get it and do it again. But um, there's hope out there, folks. I mean, we've had a very good year. Roy Griffith, I, I can't thank you enough for the number of bills that you have assisted in getting killed and stopped and delayed and not getting to the governor's desk, which has been a huge undertaking. And I'm always amazed at how much work you put into that. But I also want you know people in this last minute to kind of hear some of the different people that stand side by side with you, Roy. Sounds good, Rick. So who are some, just if you could, in the last few seconds of this segment, just give us some of the, the people that stands with you in this fight as fellow legislative directors. Oh, well, top in the list, of course, is always godfather of all that is uh, Second Amendment battles, and that's Sam Paredes with the uh, president of Gun Owners of California, absolute salt of the earth. Bill Gaines is uh, Gaines and Associates. He represents Cal Deer, uh, National Turkey Federation, the Houndsmen for Conservation, and many other entities. And there's Kathy Lynch, who represents Fire Club International. You know, we have quite the we have quite the team assembled. And folks, I want you to realize that when people say that we argue with each other in the Second Amendment House, CRPA is leading the way with people like Roy just mentioned. We're standing locked, arm-in-arm, multiple organizations, multiple members across the state fighting for your rights. We'll be back in the next segment. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Yes! Great hunter. Yes? Yes. Fine figure of a man. Yes? Yes? Yes. That is all you need to know for now. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. My name is Rick Travis. I'm the Director of Development with the California Rifle Pistol Association. And with me today is Roy Griffith, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. Both of us are filling in for the great Phil Naiman, 
who brings you Second Amendment news and teaches you how to stand against the tyranny of Sacramento. And folks, we're looking at Assembly Bill 1223, and now after having broken it down, explained some of the harms it has besides to your, your pocketbook, but also to those trying to engage in the sport and definitely to youth programs up and down the state, we've explained how we're working together as a team to fight this. And now we're going to talk about how you can become engaged. Roy, I know earlier this week on Thursday, you guys were fighting this um, Nothing's going to happen on the bill to this upcoming week. How do the people listening to this, how does each one of you in your car, at your home, at your office, you know, if you're out for a run or a bike ride or even at the range listening to the program, how do they stand up for their rights and get involved, Roy? They have got to call their representatives, their assembly person, and let them know that they will not tolerate a yes vote on this bill, that they will not tolerate the taxation of law-abiding firearms owners and users for the behavior of the criminal element in California, that the criminal element, if that cost should be deemed on the shoulders of all Californians. We all are responsible for sending these knuckleheads to Sacramento who have rolled back penalties on these criminals who have allowed these criminals out of prison early, who continually do away with time-tested law enforcement measures, who are rolling back funding for police departments. They are the ones responsible. We are all responsible for sending these knuckleheads to Sacramento. That burden should be on the shoulders of all Californians. They have got to contact their representatives at the district office, calling Sacramento, is going to be a waste of their time because I can't even get them to answer the phones in Sacramento. They're, the, the capital is still unoccupied. There's some poor lone individual staffer assigned to, to staff the, just the office, Sacramento office phone, and they're not even there. They're rolling these numbers over their personal cell phones, and their personal cell phones are full of not taking messages. But call the district office until you talk to a physical person and demand they vote against this bill. Now, Roy, you, you bring up a good point, and I'm, I'm going to take it a little step further. Folks, when you call up, look, politicians, they live, you know, every two-year cycle if they're in the Assembly, slightly longer when they're in the Senate. And so they're always running for re-election. Nothing scares local staff in an office like hearing these words. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm against Assembly Bill 1223 because it's taxation. We haven't been represented properly. There have been all sorts of laws broken to do this. And let me tell you, if, and then insert your, your Assembly member or Senator's name in there, votes yes on 1223, they will have somebody who is going to be working to unseat them. I will personally go out and I will personally start getting people in my workplace, my place of worship, and my you know friends, family, my neighborhood. I will walk precincts to unseat them. That is the kind of stuff that if they hear that over and over and over again, that those members' offices are going to call their member and say, don't do this because we're going to have to expend a lot of money and time to fight to keep your position. That's what you have to bring. You have to bring the A game. It can't be a simple, hi, please vote no on 1223 and then hang up. You have to tell them that if they do this, there's going to be a cost. 
there's going to be a penalty. There's going to be a price because that's exactly what they're doing with this piece of legislation is we don't care about you. And now we're going to make you pay for something we think is on you. And, and Roy was really polite, but folks, you know, you've heard me before. I'm a straight shooter. This bill literally says to me, you know what, Rick, you and your friends and anybody who believes in the Second Amendment, it's your fault for everything. It's not our fault we let the criminals out. It's your fault they do bad things. It's not our fault that there's no penalty for raping people or murdering people or committing armed assaults. That's your fault because you like to go lawfully shoot and provide food for your family or to recreate with your kids and family. Yeah, yeah. All, all those bad things that happen, that's because of what you do. Nobody, nobody with a reasonable mind would say, because I go to the range with a young Boy Scout or a girl, because there's girls and Boy Scouts, and teach them how to shoot a 22 rifle, that that action led to violence in Chicago or violence in New York or violence in San Jose, California. There is zero connection. And yet, what your Assembly and Senate's getting ready to do is, well, we need to tax you specifically, the law-abiding firearms owner, because, well, everything's your fault. That's a bunch of, of junk. There is no way, shape, or form that that's true. And like I said before, Roy, you have done such yeoman's work on this. And um, you guys really are the unsung heroes because, people, you got to realize there's less than 100 people trying to change your life and mess with you. And standing against that, that Goliath is a handful of people that spend literally 80 hours a week or more fighting for you. And Roy, I just want to, you know, before we end the show today, to say thank you for everything that you do, because I see behind the scenes what you give up to make this happen. Well, thank you, Rick. I do appreciate that. You know, I uh, I enjoy the battle sometimes, but it's it's a the good news is it's the battle's not over, and that's the important thing. What they did today, they just kicked the can down the road. You know, accepting this urgency clause, it's still going to be on the floor. It still requires a two thirds vote to get off the floor. They were able to get the urgency clause with just a simple fifty percent plus one, and they they got every bit of that. Some of the scary thing is that some of the Dems that we got a no vote or a no vote out of last week voted yes on this urgency clause today. So our job is not over, and it's not over. This bill is still on the floor. Their calls still matter, and anything and everything they can do to turn this heat up will make a difference. And that's why I'm going to ask all of you to do a couple things. If you're not a member of you know, the California Rifle Pistol Association, please join us at crpa.org. Get involved in this fight. Go to our website. See all the information on 1223 if you need more background. But we need you to call. What's at stake is not just taxation. I mean, maybe you're like, hey, I have enough stuff. I really, you know, I just don't want to get involved. Start looking at your neighborhood. Start looking at the kids down the street, the people that one day when you leave this planet, they will be the generation that inherits what you did or didn't do during this season. If not for yourself and your family, do it for them. Make sure you're standing up and being their voice. Because when all of us were young and were in you know, elementary, junior high, and high school, there were others that came before us that did the exact same thing. Thomas Jefferson said it best, every generation has to take a stand to defend the Constitution of the United States. This is our time. 
This is our time to be like the greatest generation and stand and fight. And it doesn't require you to do anything else but use your cell phone, your your landline, whatever that may be, to communicate with your local member's office. We are asking you to join us. Lock arms with each other. You know, I'm asking you to get off the car, you know, park it on the side of the road for just five minutes, look up your local assembly member or senator, and make that phone call now. If you get somebody, great, talk to them. If not, leave your detailed message of why you're against this. And remember, make sure that they realize that if they vote yes on this, that you're going to be an active participant in voting them out of office and getting a bunch of people to do it. That you're going to be a force multiplier that they're going to have to deal with in the campaign coming up here in just a few months. Because anything short of that, we're going to get burdened with an additional tax. And I want people to remember something. I went recently and visited Mount Vernon, home of our first president, George Washington. And I literally stopped at his desk because they had a couple of quotes. One of Washington's quotes was anything more than a 3% federal or local tax was the right of the citizens to revolt. Now, again, I'm not saying, hey, let's go revolt. But I want to frame this. Washington thought 3% was enough that the government should worry that people would revolt. Folks, California, just in firearms, is trying to go 10 times what our founding president said was egregious. Let that sink in. If 3% is egregious, even accounting for numbers and stuff, this is egregious, and this has to be stopped. I want to thank all of you because I know you work diligently um, here in the Inland Empire, LA and Orange Counties with Phil Naiman on Firing Line Radio. We at the California Rifle Pistol Association are absolutely happy and pleased to see all the hard work each of you do. Keep the sport going. And remember, as always, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.